holy today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Isaiah 52, we're going to start in um, verse 13, then we're going to read all the way through Isaiah 53, verse 7. So Isaiah 52, verse 13, we'll start there. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He has no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Good morning. And I just, can we sing the doxology this morning after that, hearing that amazing word? Let's just sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Thanks for worshiping with me. It's good to be here together worshiping, isn't it? So good to be together. Um, I'd really love Christmas. Anyone else with me? Yeah. It's such a sweet time. I, I really love the pizzazz of the season. Uh, probably nobody uses that word, but it's the, the, the lights, you know, the cheer. I really love, you know, turning on some Christmas jazz or Christmas classics. And it's just fun, you know, it's fun. And, um, and, you know, we sing that song, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I, I really like that song. Um, I do. It's great. Um, and yet, I think everyone here knows that it's not the most wonderful time of the year for everybody, right? Some of us feel intense pain in this season because we've lost someone. Maybe we're walking through some serious pain or trauma that's still present. And there's just no, we don't know when it's going to lift, you know. 
Maybe it's not pain for you or the things that I just mentioned, but maybe it's just anxiety. Maybe you're just reeked with anxiety in this season. You just feel, whether it's your job or money, you're, over, you're overdraft on your account, on your bank account, or whatever it is, these things, they don't disappear at Christmas time, right? We all know that, that we feel the same pain. This week was one of, or I guess the last couple weeks have been some of the most challenging for my family in the last couple weeks. I, had, I got injured and had an emergency surgery, um, and then, uh, then my family ended up get, getting COVID, and it, it was just intense. It was hard. Every, every bit of the, of the last few weeks has just been unexpected and challenging, and, and here I am standing today just feeling pain with some people around Christmas, right? But there's good news, and there's still reason to rejoice in Christian, Christmas, just like we sang. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to us, right? God is with us. So I have good news for us. This text has really, really good for, news for us before we dive in and see that Jesus' suffering brought us relief, healing from our suffering. I just want to pray one more time together. We need him. So let's pray one more time. Father, I am so eager for you to show up and show off the glory of Jesus. Jesus, you were lifted high, not in the ways that we would expect. You were exalted, not in the ways that we would expect, but through your suffering, you were exalted and you brought healing to us. You took the place that we deserved. So God, help us worship you, help us to see you a little clearer, and Lord, would you work in each of us in unshakable hope, in this in indescribable peace in the midst of our suffering. God, I just pray, bring healing to anyone in this room that's wrestling, that's hurting right now. Just ask for your kingdom come today as the word of God is, is opened and preached. Pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. So we're going to start in chapter 52, verse 13. I'll, I'll read it again there. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. So behold, it's another word for look. Isaiah is trying to get people's attention. There's something spectacular, even shocking, that's about to be unfolded in his prophecy. The subject of the prophecy is the servant, my servant. Notice the personal possessive pronoun there. Who is whose servant? It's, it's God. It's God speaking through Isaiah. He's speaking a word about his servant. Now, who is the servant? The servant language is actually all over Isaiah. It's helpful to, when you come across titles like that that are kind of confusing, like who is it talking about, to just say what has the Bible already said about it? Well, Isaiah has said a lot about it. Four times, there's, there's something scholars call servant songs in Isaiah, where he's unpacking this person called the servant. So we see that. I'm going to show you one. I'll put one up on the screen for you uh, from Isaiah 42, verse 1. It says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So there's this servant figure that Isaiah is, is continually alluding to. And, and in this particular uh, servant song and in the others, he's speaking of this chosen one, this anointed one. He's, he's God's selected servant that's going to bring about justice in the nations. This is none other than the Messiah that the Jews were longing for, hoping for. It's the savior of the world. 
And so any Jew who knew the storyline of the Bible would have been very in, intrigued by texts like these that spoke specifically about their Messiah who's going to come, right? They would have been interested. Now, what does it say about the servant? It says, my servant shall act wisely. Another way that that might be translated, you might see a footnote in your Bible that says, or shall prosper. My servant shall prosper. What, what that is saying is that he is going to be a good and prosperous king. It goes on to say, he will be high and lifted up and exalted. All this language is pointing to the longevity, the quality, the, the quantitative nature of this king's reign. And we know from last week, chapter 9, the government will be upon his shoulders. The increase of his government shall never end. This is what we're told of this Messiah. Friends, this was the little boy from chapter 7 that we learned about, chapter 9 that we learned about. The servant is the little boy grown up to reign on David's throne forever and ever. God's anointed one. But there's something more to this phrase, high and lifted up, that I want to point out to you. I find just so fascinating. You, Isaiah uses that phrase, high and lifted up, in another place. It's Isaiah chapter 6. It'll be up on the screen for you. It says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. The text goes on to describe this, the, the angels, the creatures of God worshiping this figure. This one seated on the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That is Yahweh. There's worship from the angels of this one who's called high and lifted up. But what's crazy about Isaiah's connection here with this language, it's not an accident that he connects the one seated on the throne high and lifted up to the servant who is high and lifted up. And if you're thinking that I'm, I'm making a stretch here in making this connection, I just want to point you to John chapter 12, 4, where the apostle actually he, speaking of Jesus, says these shocking words. Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory. He saw his glory and spoke of him. What? He saw, Isaiah saw Jesus' glory? Like the image that we just read, the one that's seated on the throne and everybody's worshiping, holy, holy, holy. Isaiah saw Jesus? How can that be? That's what John says, the glory of, that was seen there, this, this image, is Jesus. This servant, which we today know, is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's what Christ means, Messiah. He is not just some anointed man. No, he is a divine man. He is anointed of God in a particular way as man, but he is also divine, church. I need you to, to know how amazing it is because of what's going to follow in our text. What's clear to us today, that Jesus is the divine Son of God, part of the, the second member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It was not clear to the Jews then. Anybody reading this text would not have have imagine what is about to come in these in these texts uh, in these verses after let's look at verse 14 together as many were astonished at you his appearance was so marred 
beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. So the text today starts with this, the glory of the Messiah. And then it's set up with this contrast of this suffering one, this one who is so marred that people do not even recognize him as human. That is unfathomable to think that that man, that God that we were just reading about in Isaiah would be told that he's going to take on this form. He's going to be so marred somehow. He's going to be carrying that sort of suffering that he will be unrecognizable. That, that idea was offensive to the Jews. Still to this day, it's offensive to Muslims. When you hear that, that God could somehow suffer like this, it is, it, is, it is unfathomable. He was supposed to be the one putting an end to suffering, right? And yet this is the one who we're told is suffering. In these few verses that, that the end of chapter 52 uh, lays out for us, there, there really is a hit, it's almost like it's unfolding the history of Jesus' ministry. People would be astonished at this figure, at this man, and even confounded and confused and offended at him, and yet by him, by his suffering, would many nations be sprinkled by his blood and healed by his blood. These are the two kind of this this. These two realities provide a structure for what's coming in chapter 53. So let's kind of press into chapter 53 and see many were astonished. Verse 1 of chapter 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So again, this points out the, 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 the fact that Jesus' kingdom, his ministry, would not be easily received. It's a scandalous message, isn't it? I think we take it so for granted. We, we see the cross all over the place, right? We, we don't think how amazing it is that when we talk about and sing about God dying on a cross. It doesn't often shake us to the core like it would of these people as they're reading about their Messiah suffering. But it is a scandalous message, it's, and it's one because it was so shocking that not many people received it. It, it seems like Isaiah, in, in saying this, he sounds kind of like he's walking with Jesus during his ministry and is, is just marveling, looking around, marveling at all those people who were rejecting him. We know from the Gospels, as you walk through, so few would follow him. So many rejected him. In fact, Acts one uh, fifteen says that only 120 Faithful followers were there praying in the upper room after he had resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven. So few received him. It's not because God didn't show his power. That, that phrase, the arm of the Lord being revealed, it's speaking to the powerful working of God. God worked powerfully for, through Jesus. Everyone should have believed. They should have believed because God testified about him openly spoke, this is my son, worked through miracles, raised him from the dead. And yet, 
they were still astounded. They were still confused by him. Who has believed what he has heard from us? There's more reasons why they didn't believe. It says in verse 2, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. What that is saying is that this, this one that we were, that the angels were worshiping in, in intense ways night and day as he took the form of man, there was nothing that would have caused you to say, that guy's anointed. There was nothing that would have caused you to say, that's, that's the one. He didn't shine. He didn't have a halo over his head as some of the pictures depict. He was an average Joe. He didn't grow up in wealth and prestige, but in fact, he was a poor man. He grew up in a blue-collar family to a teenage mom. Right? This was, there was nothing about him that would have caused us to say he's the one. This language, out of dry ground, it suggests that he had a hard start. His, his life was difficult. He, he, was, he was like a root, trying to, a plant trying to exist out of dry ground. He had a tough existence, and we know this to be true of Jesus. Verse 3 goes on describing this man. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Jesus was despised. Man, I don't know if you've ever been disliked before. At some point in your life, just had friends who, or, or people, or not, not friends, I shouldn't say friends, they're not good friends if they despise you. You have people that look down on you, and you feel the pain of that. Jesus experienced that in intense ways. He was despised. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? They said. You know, people in that day and age were just as obsessed with power and prestige as we are today, right? They were, they were curious, but they wanted the pizzazz of the man. They wanted to see somebody that was impressive. They wanted the charismatic figure. They wanted somebody who had it all together. But Jesus was not that man. He wasn't the Harvard grad. He wasn't the, the charismatic figure. He wasn't the best-selling author. No, Jesus was despised, esteemed not, rejected by man, called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Man, he was acquainted. Like That makes it sound like a grief was like a friend of Jesus's. He wasn't someone that was impressive, but he was someone who suffered, was rejected. What a title for a king, man of sorrows. Can you imagine being a king called man of sorrows? He was a man of sorrows in the sense that he would be rejected by even his family. He was rejected by his people. He was a man of sorrows in the sense that he probably lost his dad young, probably spent a lot of his teenage years, young 20s, raising, uh, sorry, supporting his family. 
He wasn't just, just a man of sorrows in the sense that he went to the cross for us, but lived this life of suffering and sorrow. He knows what it's like to feel your pain in very intimate ways. Whatever you're going through right now, Jesus understands. He's been in that moment. He's been in that scenario, in that situation. Isaiah goes so far as to say that he would be as one who men hide their faces from. Man, what a shameful thing. Have you ever had someone hide their face from you because you were in a room? Our Jesus was rejected in these ways. This is unimaginable. When you consider the one that we just looked at, the the man who is king, the man who is high and lifted up on a throne. But this is our king, church. There was a purpose to all of this. Isaiah is going to get at the the reality that through all this suffering, many would be healed. So let's look at verse 4 together. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. There's this surprising turn the text takes and and Isaiah says, surely. He wants you to pay attention yet again. He says, surely he has borne our griefs. Would you say that first line aloud with me? He has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Church, what's amazing about this reality is that he was walking through this life, enduring pain, sorrow, rejection, all the things that this life has for us, the cruelness of of life, and it wasn't what he deserved. It wasn't what he ought to have been doing, but he was doing it for us. He was carrying our sorrows. He was bearing our griefs. The world was looking at him and saying, he must be getting punished. Shame on that man. He must have done some terrible sin to deserve that. Imagine our Lord on a cross. How many people would have turned their face away from him, said, shook their heads. Roman guards would spit on him, mock him. He was there bearing our sorrows. He was carrying our diseases, our grief. Verse 9 says this. uh, It makes the point very clear that, that we are the reason that he was suffering, not for anything that he had done on his own. It says this. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Church, this was a faultless man. He didn't deserve to be there, and yet he was there for a purpose. Verse 5 and following is going to show us a little more clearly why he was there. I'm going to read a little more, a little extended period here, so follow along. But he was pierced 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Wow. These words are happy words for a sinner. And yet what horrible, horrible things to read about the Messiah. Isaiah seems to move from this more general sorrow and suffering and grief to a more specific event. He starts talking about a piercing. He talks about him having wounds. He talks about him being crushed. And what other event in history could capture that moment for Jesus than the cross that he hung upon 2,000 years ago? Jesus went to the cross for us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, church. And just so you know that I'm not, I'm not making a leap here, I want to show you in 1 Peter what the apostles, how the apostles interpreted these, this very prophecy. It says in 1 Peter 2.24, it'll be up on the screen. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that is the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter is basically summing up these words in Isaiah for us. And this is so amazing to me that, that the scripture has been so clear to us that this prophecy that we're reading today that we're celebrating on Christmas, was 700 years before the event of the cross. 700 years beforehand, God was telling us, I'm going to come and I'm going to suffer in your place in a very particular way. And why? Again, why would God do such a thing? I, I, want us to, I know that these are truths that we've heard time and time again, but we need to hear them. Just marvel at what God has done. Why would God come in the form of man to go to a cross? Why would he do that? It says he was pierced for me. Our transgressions. For our iniquities. Isn't this exactly what Peter says? He says he bore our sins. It was for us that he went to the cross. It's for you personally. Every sin that you had committed was laid upon the Son of God. He took it upon himself, this intense suffering, this intense rejection, all of it. He was coming to take that. And so clearly, not for something that he had done, but for something we had done. From the first man, we're told, we have all followed in their footsteps. Every single one of us, it says, like sheep have gone astray. It could not be more clear there. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Everyone to his own way. 
It could not be more clear that we are the guilty ones. He is the innocent one, and yet he's hanging on a cross. And what's so surprising, or I should, I should say uh, differently, is just, just how, how we so often receive suffering in this life. If you, if you go out into the world and talk to anybody on the street, you're going to hear a very similar thing, very similar theme. People, in some way, shape, or form, shake their fist at God for their suffering. They say, he's dealt me a bad hand. I don't deserve this, right? There's this sense that, that they're good, they deserve a long, happy life, and yet they've been dealt a bad hand, and now they have to endure and so they say, how dare God do that? Maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you feel in your intense suffering like God has, has been unusually cruel to you. I need you to know it's different than that. Our suffering is not God's fault, but it's a result of sin in this world. It's a result of sin in this world. We have all, like sheep, gone after our own ways. We have looked to other things other than God to bring us satisfaction, to, to meet us in our needs. All of us. And so we lack peace today. We're suffering today. We're dying today. We're experiencing things like COVID-19 because of sin in the world. And I'm not saying your suffering, your specific suffering is is a specific result of some sin you've done. I'm, I'm talking more broadly than that. I'm saying that sin in the world, suffering in the world, is a result of sin. It is not God's fault. I need you to hear that. But here's what you need to hear even more, is that God did not end the story with our suffering and our sin. He came to come to that place of suffering and take it upon himself because he loves us. Amen? <coughs> Look at verse 7 with me. <clears throat> he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. I love the way that Isaiah identifies Jesus with humanity. It says just a few minutes before, all we like sheep have gone astray. And then what is our Lord compared to? A sheep, a lamb who's gone to be slaughtered. And yet, not like us who justify ourselves before men and God, saying, I shouldn't be suffering like this. He stood, mouth shut, silent, even though he was the innocent one. Can you imagine doing that? Being oppressed, being afflicted, going to the cross, and just keeping your mouth shut. And saying, God, I'm in your hands. I trust you. This is the Lord. This is what he's done for us. What, why, did he, why was he silent? He came to do this very thing. He came to the cross. He came to take upon himself the cross. To take upon himself our suffering. And he was doing it according to the plan of God. Because of God's great love for us. There aren't many better places in the Bible to show us this substitutionary atonement that is laid out for us here. It says, upon him was laid 
the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. Upon him was laid the iniquity of us all. Church, he was wounded and we were set free. He was lashed 39 times. His flesh ripped from his body. Hands and feet pierced with nails and with a sword in his side so that you and I could be healed. He was crushed under the weight of the cross and under the wrath of God. He felt the crown of thorns upon his head. All of this suffering was laid upon him because you and me had sinned. All of it laid on him because he willingly stood there, silently stood there because he didn't want you to die. He didn't want you to suffer anymore. Oh man, I, we need to hear this again and again and again so that we can marvel afresh at what God has done for us. This is God. This is the divine one who is seated on the throne. He has taken on my flesh and gotten into our experience and suffered like that. Hallelujah. Amen. We should praise him for these things. He was sprinkled. His blood was shed so that he could sprinkle us clean. Just like the lamb was slaughtered on the day of Passover. Like we read in the Old Testament in the Day of Atonement, how they would sprinkle the altar and sprinkle the people with blood. Jesus' blood was shed so that me and you could be reconciled to God and no longer face the penalty of death. It's amazing. So I was suffering this week, this, or two weeks ago, and I was legitimately in some of the worst pain I've ever experienced. Um, I was wrestling with my son and just leave it at that. Oh, <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible pain. And I had to basically endure that for a few hours before I got to the hospital. And, and in those moments, the Lord really showed up. And he, he started talking to me. I'd been meditating on this text and the, su the suffering of our Lord. And a few things became really apparent to me. Number one, peace in this world is not a given. Painlessness is not a given. In fact, it's, it's, the, it's the normal. It's the, it's the norm. When we face, when we experience days and weeks without hearing about loss or experiencing some pain or experiencing some deep anxiety or fear or whatever it is, you're living in an unusual moment. The human experience is that of pain and suffering very often. I was also reminded that, that so many in our community, so many in the world are experiencing this, sorts of pain, this sort of pain on a daily basis. People in our community, I know. People in your missional communities, they're enduring pain. There's no real hope of when it'll let up. We just don't know. was also reminded that all of this sorrow we face is really just what we deserve. God could have left me in that pain. I was sitting there literally crying out for hours, crying out. And he could have left me there. I deserve hell. I deserve the worst of it for eternity. I deserve a million deaths over and over and over again. He could have left me there. 
And yet he started speaking these words over me that he bore my grief. He bore my sorrow, that pain, the wounds that he experienced were so that I could have healing, so that you could have healing. Jesus doesn't want us to experience pain forever. It's just as simple as that. I want you to know this. Our Jesus is amazing. He would do it. Sometimes it takes serious pain in our lives for us to marvel again at the suffering of our Lord. And God was kind to let me suffer this week so I could share this with you and marvel afresh at what he's done for me. He came so we don't have to worry anymore. He came to offer us healing both now and for eternity. He came so we wouldn't have to be afraid anymore. That should cause us to worship our King, amen? If you're suffering today, some of you are suffering in great ways and have recently suffered in great ways, and I just simply want to call you to hold fast to this one, Jesus, because what you've endured, what you are enduring, he knows. Our God is not a God who you know, runs around, it's the most wonderful time of the year, acting like everything is happy and good. He's not. Our God has endured your pain. He doesn't live with the rich and, and the lofty, ignoring the, the poverty and the brokenness of this world. No, he's come and he's suffered. And you're not alone, you're not misunderstood in your suffering, I promise you that. Isaiah's prophecy doesn't end in death. Isn't it amazing that I want to read, read something to you from the end of chapter 53. We didn't have time to unpack all these verses, but look at verse 10 and 11 with me. It'll be on the screen. When his soul, sorry, yet it is the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness, righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. You need to know that not only was the death of Christ prophesied 700 years, so was the resurrection of Jesus. We see in those words a living man. After he makes an offering, we're told that he will see his offspring who are the offspring? The offspring are none other than the children of God. It's not physical offspring. Jesus didn't have children. He had you. <laughs> All who put faith in Jesus have been made righteous, and Jesus has intimate relationship with you today. He sees you. He knows you. Now, if you're here today, and you're not sure if you belong to him, if you're one of these offspring, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I just want to call you to follow him, to make him your Lord. It's as simple as putting faith in the one who has done all this for you. 
And if you're suffering, I want you to find your healing and rest in him today. He will surely bear your griefs as I've been talking about today. And I have one last word for us, church. In this Christmas season, I want you to rejoice. I do. I want you to rejoice because, of, because the Lord has come to heal your suffering. But I don't want you to also, I also, another thing, I, I don't want you to be afraid of entering into other people's suffering. I want us to be like our Lord Jesus. I want us to be like our Lord Jesus in when, when we see people who are suffering, we enter into that place with them. And by all means, if we can help alleviate suffering, do it. We don't have to pretend like everything's happy this Christmas season. When we enter in with our family and realize there's, hard, there's hardship, we can grieve with our loved ones. We can grieve with our friends. And we ought to because that's where the Lord is found. We'll get more of him as we enter into people's suffering. We're going to pray and then we're going to worship our risen king. We have a great reason to rejoice today. We're told that he was high and lifted up and exalted. And it was all through the suffering that he took on himself for me and you. So let's pray together and then we'll sing. God, we marvel at who you are and we want to marvel even more. So in these coming moments of worship, would you cause our hearts to, to soar? Would you cause us to rejoice in what you've done on the cross? And for those who are suffering, Lord, right now, would you bring healing? Would you release those who are experiencing bondage, anxiety, sickness, fear, pain? Mm -hmm. I pray for healing right now. Lift the suffering, God, because you took the suffering. Lift it. Mm -hmm. And I ask, God, that you would give hope to those who are enduring suffering, that they will be healed ultimately. It's coming in a day just as you were raised, Lord, that we will be raised to and we'll never feel pain or sorrow again. Hallelujah. Glory be to your name, our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. amen. We take a few minutes to respond and, and be silent after sermons. So I just want to encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes and take a few minutes to just pray and worship our King. If you're feeling sorrow and suffering, would you just lay that burden on Him and invite Him into that place of suffering?